Several years ago, uh, I, some friends of mine had to take a trip to New York for some business. And while they were in New York, guess what they decided to do? They decided to stop at the Brooklyn Tabernacle for worship, which I thought was kind of cool. And they came home and they started telling me about the whole experience and what it was like. But the thing that I was probably most inspired by and encouraged by was the way that they described Jim Cimbala, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, right? Who's in the Brooklyn Tabernacle, for those of you who may be guests or visitors with us. We've been reading this book together uh, about the power of prayer, uh, and it surrounds the story of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Well, these friends of mine said that uh, Jim Cimbala, see, I had in my mind, maybe you have too, that he was this kind of, this uh, awe-inspiring man of God, because a pastor that serves a church like that has to be this, this mighty man of God, right? Well, the way they described him was he was just an ordinary dude, just a guy. And I thought, well, that's awesome. And it's also biblical. Did you know that? Did you know that it's biblical that God most often chooses to use ordinary people, just like you and me, to do extraordinary things? We don't think that way most of the time. We always, we set up on a, on, on a, on a shelf or on, on an altar these people who we read about in the Bible or um, these people that um, we see doing, God doing great things through and we think, man, they're awesome. Isn't that, isn't that great that, that, that God has empowered these mighty people for the sake of the gospel? Well, guess what? Those people, for the most part, are no different than you. They're just ordinary people, just like you and me. If you are paying close attention to that passage, to that one verse that Sarah read for you today, if in your Bibles, I don't know if, you've, if, if you um, have your Bibles with you today, but you might open them up and take a look at this passage. It's First, or First Chronicles chapter 11. And basically, right there at verse 10 or 11, in, in the Bible I was reading this week, it was entitled, there's a, sometimes they put titles above every section, which obviously isn't the part of the Bible, but it gives you kind of a clue what you're about to read next. In my Bible, it said, um, it, this passage was described as um, David and his mighty men. And what you find in this passage there in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 is 30 guys who did extraordinary things, most of them, while standing alongside of King David as he came into the, his, his kingdom to become the king of Israel. There are some, if you read that passage, these 30 guys did some pretty extraordinary things that you think, wow, they must have been something. But there's one group of guys that are described in these mighty men of David that seem kind of out of place. Starts at verse 17. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and start, just look at it with me. In verse 17, what happens is we, we find this, this image or this, this scene where David and his army are in a war with um, some folks. And um, it says that at one point, David um, says almost to himself, he says, Man, am I thirsty? I wish I had a drink. Well, in this passage, it says that there were three of his men who heard. King David make that statement. He wasn't necessarily talking to them, but they heard him say, man, I wish I, I had a drink of water. So the, what these three guys do is they sneak across the enemy lines 
And because the, the only source of fresh water was behind the enemy lines, they sneak across the enemy lines to get some water and they bring it back to David and they say, here you go. That seems like a strange story. That's it. That's it. That was the story. They, they went and got him a drink of water. <laughs> and that's why these three men, who, by the way, their names aren't listed, but they are listed among the mighty men of David, their act, their extraordinary act was to get David a glass of water. Why would they include that in this passage? Because if you read the passage, you, you see that um, others of them were able to, to um, take out 200, one man takes out 250 people. Um, and there was just extraordinary event after extraordinary event. And then in the middle of it, um, here, here's a glass of water. Why would that be? I'll tell you why. It's because in God's economy, a hero is not defined by their deeds. Listen to me now. In God's economy, a hero is not defined by their deeds. A hero is defined by their obedience. Mm. You see, when God looks at ordinary people and he makes a decision of whether or not they are heroes or not, the thing that he's looked for is, are these people available? Are they willing to say yes if I come and say, hey, I'd like to use you? Because some of us, he might want to, to um, do something big like they're doing it at Brooklyn Tabernacle. And for others, he might just want you to, to be obedient and bring a glass of water. But they are all heroes in God's economy. And a hero is defined by obedience. Well, this morning... I want to share with you some stories of people I've known in my life who were ordinary heroes. And they weren't heroes because of what they did. They were heroes because they were obedient. The first story I want to tell you today is a story about this little old lady named Peg. Or at least she was a little old lady when I first met her. When I first met Peg, she was in her 80s. Um, and she was very frail and soft-spoken. Um, and I loved her because she was a prayer warrior. But 50 or 60 years before I met Peg, she was a young stay-at-home mom whose major concern in her life was to raise her children and to take care of her husband. That's just, that was just the way it was for her. Well, one day, Peg... Uh, went to church because they were having a, a big, important meeting at church. And um, people were scared. And the reason why they were scared is because they were making some decisions that day about building a new church. And they were, some of them were scared because the decisions they were going to make were going to cost a lot of money and they weren't sure they could afford it. Others of them were scared because um, the decision that they were going to make that day potentially was that they were going to um, leave their old church building behind, a place where some of them had got married, had their babies baptized, 
or grandpa had been buried. It's hard to do. I know we're not supposed to make, remember last week we were talking about idols. Sometimes people make idols out of their churches, their facilities. And it was hard to walk away. So they come together as a church and, and they're, they're discussing all the pros and cons and and as they're, and, and, some, and the conversation apparently started to get a little bit heated. And, and so Peg, because she was a prayer warrior, she, she stops. She stops really paying attention to what's going on. And she starts praying over the crowd. And as she's praying, she listened. By the way, did you know that listening is a very important ingredient in prayer? Sometimes we forget that. As she was praying, she was trying to listen. And she heard God speak. You know what God said? God said, Peg, I want you to stand up. And I want you to tell these people not to be afraid. She says, Lord, they're not going to listen to me. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. They're not going to listen. And he says, they'll listen. The question is, will you do it? Peg, what I want you to do is I want you to stand up and I want you to tell them that it's okay that I'm with them and I'm with you on the, in this plan. This is God's plan. And then I want you to walk with them up the hill to the land where our new church will be. And I want you to have them all get down on their knees and consecrate the land, the new church, To Jesus. And she did it. And they listened. And all those people in that little church got up from that meeting and they followed this little stay-at-home mom up the hill to where the church was and they got down on their knees and they prayed and they consecrated it to God. And 50 or 60 years later, that same little church had become one of the largest churches in the whole state of Iowa. Just as a reminder that God's in charge. And Peg is a hero. Um, I have this friend named Bob. And one day, the church that Bob and I were a part of um, participated in something that was called the Parable Project. And basically what it was is that, that they took from uh, Matthew chapter 25, the story of the parable of the talents. You probably know that story. They took from that story and they build upon it and they, they um, cast a vision. And this is how they cast the vision. The church sit, took 50 $100 bills and they started giving them out to random people in the church. And with these instructions... They said, this money doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God, but it's your responsibility. You can do with this money whatever you want to do between you and God. But you're supposed to invest it for the kingdom, just like the parable of the towns, right? And then they said, if you're willing, um, we would like you to come back and tell us what you did. Well, after church that day, my friend Bob walks up to me and he's, he has his $100 bill in his hand and he says, uh, Pastor, I'm supposed to build a house. And I want to say, how are you going to build a house with, with $100? And the short answer to that is, 
he wasn't. But God was. And that $100 bill was the seed money for him and that church and an organization called Habitat for Humanities. And through Bob, I had the privilege of standing in that house the day that he handed over the keys, just a few months later, to a Sudanese immigrant family who would never have had a house had it not been for someone like Bob. He was definitely their hero. I once knew a, a lady named Janet. Janet, never had, she never had an easy life. She was a single mom and trying to raise a son, being both a, a mom and a dad, she was trying to raise a son who had all kinds of troubles, and it wasn't going very well. Well, one day in church, um, she had an inspiration. We had been talking that day about how God wants to use all of us, how He wants to use our interests and our, our passions and our spiritual gifts to make a difference in the world for the sake of the gospel, for the kingdom. And she, I, I preached a sermon not unlike that here not too long ago. She comes up to me after church and she says, Pastor, I'm supposed to plant a garden. I thought, great. <laughs> what are you supposed to say something like that? And little did she know at the time that this, this garden that she was supposed to plant was actually uh, um, the start of a movement. Because as she began to tell other people that she was supposed to plant a garden, another person stepped up and you said, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to give you land that you can plant your garden on. And then somebody else stepped forward and said, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to build a, a, uh, a, a greenhouse on that land so that we can raise little plants during the wintertime so that we'll be ready to plant them in the summertime. They'll be ready to go. And another person said, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to build an irrigation system so that those little plants that were growing in the greenhouse in the wintertime will have all the water that they need during the summertime so that we can have this garden. And then someone else says, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to donate my truck so that when we grow all these fresh vegetables in this garden... We can deliver them to all the food pantries and the soup kitchens all around the city. To people who very seldom had fresh vegetables. I guarantee you, to them, my friend Janet was a hero. And the last story I want to tell you is about my friend Rob. Um... My first church, I've told you all this before, I was a student pastor just in this little teeny church just outside of Freeport, Illinois. And um, I was only going to be there for a year. And I was scared. I hadn't been a Christian for very long. The truth of the matter is I probably shouldn't have been anybody's pastor at that point in my life. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know much of anything, but I did know this. From the very first Sunday that I preached in that church, I knew that God wanted me to have an altar call. Now, what is an altar call? 
some of, most of you are probably familiar with it, but for those of you who aren't, maybe, maybe it's not part of your tradition, an altar call is basically just offering someone the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ into their heart as Lord and Savior. Lots of different ways you can do that. You can um, just say to people, you can pray that prayer, bow your heads, and pray that prayer right where you are. You can ask people to raise their hands and say, I made that commitment. You can invite people to come forward. And that was the part that God was asking me to do. And I was scared. I was a coward, actually, because I was scared of the thought that nobody would come forward and I would look silly, I would look foolish. And every Sunday for an entire year, I could feel the Holy Spirit saying, Craig, this is what you're supposed to do. I'm not going to let up, Craig. But every Sunday, I said, Lord, not this week. It doesn't really fit the, the program. Until the last Sunday, I was only there for a year, like I said, until the last Sunday rolled around, and I knew, I didn't hear any voices in my head, but I knew that depending on what I chose to do that day, it would define the rest of my life. How's that for dramatic? But I knew it was the truth. So I made the decision that I was going to do this thing. I wasn't exactly sure how to do this thing, but I thought, I'm going to do this thing. So I get up when it's time to preach, and, I, and my whole sermon that day was to confess that I was a coward, and I was ashamed of myself. How I had been called for an entire year to invite them to, to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and I hadn't done it because I was, I was afraid of looking silly, looking a fool, that nobody would come. So I said, I would like to invite you to come forward and accept Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. And guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> My greatest fears became a reality. I'm standing up there by myself and I looked the fool. Until Rob stepped up. Rob was a dairy farmer, probably still is, over around Freeport. At that time, we were about the same age, in our mid-20s. Rob was not known as a public speaker. He was a farmer. He steps forward. He takes the microphone from me. And I was so shocked because he started talking. I have no idea. To this day, I have no idea what he was saying because I was so shocked. But by the time he was done, nearly 100 people had come to the altar to either accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the very first time or to rededicate their lives to Christ. That day, Rob was my hero. By the way, I'm not ashamed anymore. So, just to be clear, y'all know that believing in Jesus isn't enough, right? You have to make a conscious decision to accept Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. Just because you grew up going to church or just because you, um, your parents were Christians or your grandpa and grandma were Christians, 
It's not good enough. You must make that decision yourself. And if you've never done that, we're going to stop for just a second. And I'm going to let you stay in your seats, but I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer with you. And if you want to pray it along with me, you can say it out loud or you can say it in your heart. doesn't matter. The most important thing is that you say it and you mean it. So if you need to do that, let's bow our heads and pray. The prayer goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I've made mistakes. I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my heart and to not just be my Savior, but to be my Lord. Give me that assurance today, Lord, that if I were to die, I know where I would go. Not because of what I have done, but because of what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's my question for you. If you prayed that prayer, by the way, um, I would love it if you would come and talk to me after church or send me an email just to let me know that you did so that I can celebrate with you, okay? Between you and the Lord, but I would love that. Here's my question. What did all those people that I just told you stories about, what did they have in common? They had three things in common. They were all ordinary people, just like you, and you, and you, and you, and you. They're just ordinary folks. And they all listened when God spoke to them. But they did more than just listen. Every one of them obeyed. And that's what made these ordinary people into extraordinary heroes. Those three things. Not all those other things that you want to ascribe to people that you think as mighty men and women of God. They were ordinary. They listened. And they obeyed. That's it. Those are the qualifications. As you know, we have been on this journey uh, the last several weeks to unlock the power of prayer. And here's the last key, and it's going to come in the form of a question. The, the last and perhaps most important key to unlocking the power of prayer. And the question that will help you to unlock the power or to get the hold of the key is this. When was the last time you asked God to do something through you? To make a difference through you? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Perhaps you've prayed the prayer and nothing changed. Well, let me tell you probably why. You see, the mistake that most of us make, if we even have the courage to pray a prayer like that, Lord, use me to make a difference. The mistake that most of us make is, Lord, I'm willing to be used this way, this way, and this way. 
but that's it. Now, you may not say it that way, but that's exactly what you mean. And then you sit back and wonder, why would nothing change? The power to unlock that prayer is instead being saying something like this, Lord, however you want to use me, I'm available. You know what would be the biggest shame of all? We've been doing this now. We've been on this journey for six weeks, right? Wouldn't the greatest shame of all be if tomorrow, whenever you guys have your last group or whatever, wouldn't the greatest shame be the best thing that come out of this would be, boy, didn't God, isn't God doing some great things at Brooklyn Tabernacle? Wouldn't that be a shame if that's, the, that's all that came out of this? The way we can make sure that that's not all that comes out of this is by using that last key. By saying, Jesus, I'm available. I'm listening. Use me however you wish. Let's pray. Lord, I have no idea... Um, every one of those stories I just shared with these folks were things that came, literally came out of the blue, at least for me. And, and I think for those, those folks that I talked about as well. Which is what's kind of cool. Is that you want to change the world through us. It might be something as simple as bringing a glass of water to someone who's in need. It might be sharing with someone that Jesus is the answer to the struggles that they're dealing with. It might be planting a garden. Whatever it is, Jesus, my prayer for my, what I'm asking for is that you would anoint this group today. And that whatever unique and extraordinary thing that you have for them, that they will make themselves available, <coughs> that they will listen and say yes for the sake of the gospel for this world that you love so desperately in Jesus name Amen